Ahoy, and welcome to episode 62 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to read and understand the rulebook to that awesome new game you just got in the mail that you really want to play right away. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about how to teach games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Gloomhaven and Tiny Epic Zombies. Then, we talk about the act of teaching games and how you can learn to do it a little bit better. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word teach. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. All right, Ambie, we've both been itching to play this game for a very long time and not doing it, but you have finally played Gloomhaven, and I want to hear all about it. It was a year and a half of trying to get together with our neighbor because he has the first edition and we finally got to play. So Gloomhaven is a cooperative dungeon crawling role playing type game. It was published in 2017, designed by Isaac Childress and published by Cephalo Fair Games. It's on the second edition now, but I played the first edition because my neighbor got it a long time ago. (laughs) So it's a cooperative dungeon crawling game. We're playing four players. It's a campaign game and we've played four scenarios so far. So in Gloomhaven there's a big map with different locations you can go to and each location is a different scenario. And as you do the different scenarios, different locations open up and I think it also depends on which scenarios you choose to do, but I, I don't know the whole story yet because we're just four scenarios in. So each player plays a different character that has different powers. I'm a mind thief, which is this rat-shaped being that has some mind control powers, and I can summon a rat army. So that's fun. And your characters can level up, and later they retire, and you start up new characters. We haven't gotten that far yet. We've gotten to level two now, though. So in each scenario in Gloomhaven, there's a modular board and a map with monsters on it. And your characters move around and attack and do different things. But in order to do your actions, there's no dice. You have a hand of cards. And each card has a top and a bottom side. And each turn, everyone picks two cards and plays them simultaneously. The cards have your actions and also the initiative, which is the order you go in. And the enemies also have a card that flips over and it shows what they do. But when you're playing your cards, you have to do the top action of one card and the bottom action of the other. So... That's interesting, like choosing which ones to do. But then once you do your action, you discard the cards and your hand is smaller for the next turn. So you have to plan what you want to do throughout the game. And some actions on your cards are super powerful and you lose the card, which means it's out of the scenario. And you get your discarded cards back when you rest. So if you can like pass your turn and you get all your cards back, but you also have to choose one to lose. So each time you rest, you get fewer cards back and eventually you'll run out of cards and become exhausted. You don't die, you just get exhausted and then you lose if everyone gets exhausted. So I guess like thematically it's like your character is getting exhausted from doing too much stuff. So it's interesting because you can't just wait out the scenario. You have a time limit because of your cards. And I I really like the um, card play because you need to plan well to get the most out of your actions. For the fighting, instead of dice, there's an attack deck that you draw from that modifies your attack. So it has like plus one, plus two, minus one, minus two. Uh, And it also has a card that cancels out your attack so it doesn't do anything. So you don't know if your attack will do damage or hit. Does that that feel better to you than than it would if it were dice? 
Because, like, in theory, a die could have the same symbology on it. Yeah, but I, I think what's really interesting about it, well, the deck is bigger, so there's more things. And also, as you level up, you can change your deck. So there's, like, a little bit of deck building in there, and it gets stronger things, and you can take out some of the bad things. So um, I've added something to my deck that gives me, like, a power. So I think that's cool. Also, leveling up, you get better regular cards, the action cards. But yeah, so I, I like the deck thing because you you would need more dice to have all of the different things it has. So yeah, the Gloomhaven feels a lot like a role-playing game to me. It's like a role-playing game, but more structured, structured turns and structured cards that you have. But it, it has the feeling of role-playing because we each have different characters and they, they have different personalities and stuff. And we've been getting into it. Our group has been really into uh, looting the coins that drop from the dead enemies. So you don't share your coins with the party. So we've been racing to loot the coins first, which is kind of funny because it's a cooperative game. (laughs) Yeah, so four scenarios in, you know, how often are you guys playing? We've only played twice so far. We, we're just going to try to meet when we can, hopefully. Okay, because there's like 50 yeah. plus scenarios, right? Like Yeah, there's a lot. A lot. I so don't know if our, we'll be able to finish or anything. <laughs> so basically, you're just going to keep playing it until it doesn't make sense to not play it anymore, right? Yeah, like, or of, until okay. I guess we just stop. <laughs> okay, but you are yeah. enjoying it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. And, and it is making me, like, it feels like a role-playing game. And that's, like, I like role-playing games. I just... The problem with role-playing games is you need the dungeon master making them and making your characters. Well, here it has it made for you, so it's easier to get into, I think. There's still a lot of setup, and each game takes a few hours, but it's easier than a role-playing game. (laughs) What's funny is I, you know, I backed the second edition on Kickstarter, so that came in the mail almost a year ago now. I, I cracked the box open. And then mm-hmm. closed it immediately. Like, I didn't yeah. even take the components out. <laughs> There's so much stuff. <laughs> so it, And it's weird because I do want to play it, but it just feels like an endeavor to punch everything out, set everything up, learn the rules, teach it to other people. Yeah. And I just, I've been overwhelmed by the whole thing. Although I did back on Kickstarter, a Kickstarter campaign that had inserts and I got a Gloomhaven one. So I, I will have the means to organize it in the future i don't remember when that kickstarter is fulfilling Mm -hmm. so maybe that will motivate me to organize it yeah our neighbor has a really nice insert and it still takes a while to set up and the the rules there's so many rules and we have to keep looking up rules all the time and i think we we played something really wrong the first time but but it's still fun (laughs) hey well there you go as long as it's still fun that's what's mad that's is what matters Mm -hmm. well I recently got a game in the mail that I had backed on Kickstarter previously, and I was pretty excited about it, even though the theme is not something that I'm often excited about, and that is Tiny Epic Zombies. The the Tiny Epic line of games from Gameland Games has been kind of hit or miss for me, although I will admit there have been none of them that I outright hated that I've tried. They've usually ranged from meh, that was okay, to wow, this is awesome. The only one that was wow, this is awesome thus far was Tiny Epic Quest. That is was and still is my favorite Tiny Epic game. I guess that's a spoiler for my thoughts <laughs> on zombies. Tiny Epic Zombies falls squarely in the camp of eh, that was okay, 
at least um, after only one play. So what's neat about this game is there are a bunch of different game modes. And considering that this is in a very small box, I am incredibly impressed with the variety of things you can do with this game. Tiny Epic Zombies can be played fully cooperative, one versus many, competitive against a single player controlling the zombies. So p different people controlling survivors, competitive against each other, all against one player as the zombies, or competitive free-for-all against the game. So like everybody's competing against one another and the game, which is controlling the, the zombies via AI. Oh, oh, and solo, technically. You can play this game solo as well. So there are five different game modes that you can play. That in and of itself is pretty darn cool for a game that comes in a box this size, truthfully. Um, so it doesn't matter what your game group prefers, you can kind of play the <laughs> mode you want to play. So my friends and I, we played with four people, and we I was originally intending to do fully cooperative against the game controlling the zombies, but one of my friends likes being the one in one versus many games, and so he said he wanted to be the zombies we let him do that so we played one versus many in this game you have a bunch of different win objectives that are possible and you pick three of those or draw them at random and then the survivors have to complete those three objectives to win the game objectives are a whole bunch of different things like find survivors in this mall uh, all these zombies have taken over a shopping mall the mall is constructed of different cards that you lay out in a specific format but the placement of the cards doesn't matter per se so you can kind of arrange them differently each time it's just the same layout but where the cards go is not dictated specifically, um, just their orientation. So you move around this mall on every player's turn. They are required to move three times. And then after a move, there are specific things you can do um, after each move. So you can move one space and then do certain actions depending on what is in the store of the mall that you're in. If there's zombies there, you can attack them. If there are no zombies there, you can interact with the room if it has a special ability or pick up items that have been dropped in the room. And this game, similarly to Tiny Epic Quest, does have item meeples, which are the little plastic meeples that you can put little items into their little hands. So now it looks like your tiny meeple is carrying a chainsaw and a bazooka, and that's just awesome. <laughs> uh, so the fun, cute factor of the meeples and their little pieces is great. There is also, I think it was a Kickstarter exclusive, but there's a little doggo meeple. You Aww. can get the dog from the item deck and have a little dog. But he, like basically dies in, as soon as he gets hit by a zombie and then he turns into a zombie dog so that's oh, no. less i know luckily he's not like, as cool as sparky <laughs> i know Sparky's the best zombie game dog ever definitely um but yeah you move around you pick up items you try and complete these objectives based on whatever they are you can go find you have to go search for things or escort people through the mall or find where the real exits are by going to a whole bunch of different exits and figuring out which pieces are the right pieces. A lot of tokens with hidden information on the back of them are how some of these objectives are completed. Like they'll all have the same back and different fronts and you have to find the right one after they've been shuffled and distributed. It felt pretty average. Like there was nothing bad about this game mechanically, but there was nothing that made me go, wow, that's so cool. And uh, I will say the person that was controlling the zombies very specifically felt like he was doing very little because on his turns, which uh, the zombie player in a one versus many game gets to take a turn after every single other player's turn. 
The zombie player gets to give cards to the other players, which could be good or bad things from a specific deck. And then if the zombie player guesses what room that player is going to be in and the color on the card he gave them matches the room they ended up in, he gets to trigger a special ability. Our zombie player was not guessing the color right very often. So he wasn't able to use his special ability very often. And then all you get to do as the zombie player is put out two zombies into the color of room that you put on the card. So he did not feel like he got to do much, truthfully. He did uh, whittle down our health a little bit, and we came close to losing, I think, but not not like super close. So it just, it wasn't very dramatic. It wasn't <laughs> super exciting. I did like it. And I'm going to play some of the other game modes. I'm curious to know how the AI works when you have the zombies mm -hmm. controlled by the game. And I am hopeful that that might be better. And actually, I'm kind of hopeful that the solo game might be good as well. So the, the jury is still out. I do not see this overtaking quest as my favorite based on my first play. But I'm definitely going to give this some additional plays. But yeah, not bad. Not amazing. <laughs> still... I, I, I've said this about the other Tiny Epic games, and I will say it about this one too. There is a lot of game in a very small package, and that's impressive no matter what. Because if I'm going to be like traveling or going somewhere where I don't have a lot of space to bring games, but I want games that are a little bit meatier, that aren't necessarily fillers, this is the type of game that I would like to bring to a scenario like that. Now, that being the case, I'm still going to pick Tiny Epic Quest over <laughs> this one. But hey, maybe I can bring both. Again, it's both small boxes, all of that jazz. So... Uh, that is Tiny Epic Zombies from Gamelin Games, designed by Scott Alms and published in 2018. We asked our uh, Patreon supporters in our Slack channel to tell us what they wanted us to talk about for this episode because we really love our Patreon supporters. They wanted to hear our thoughts on how to teach board games. And I think that's a really important discussion to have and one that we haven't really touched on in any great detail in the past. And I will preface this by saying neither Ambie nor I are teachers for a living. And <laughs> at least for me personally, I know I have a lot of doubts about my game teaching abilities. So, mm -hmm. you know, anything that we say is from our personal experiences and is not necessarily representative of what you should do, but maybe we can provide some helpful insight from our point of view as to how to teach games. Yeah, so I'm usually not really the one teaching games, despite the fact that I make rules videos, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But yeah, I, I'm usually not like as comfortable teaching live because Toby's good at teaching games and I let him teach most of the time or make him teach the game most of the time. So most of these <laughs> tips will just be what I've observed from watching Toby teach games because I think he's actually a pretty good teacher. I will attest that it's true. <laughs> Toby is a good game teacher. I, I actually teach games pretty frequently in my mm -hmm. game group we have we have a large game group but only a handful of people that tend to bring games mm -hmm. a lot of the people that are regulars they own board games but they know other people are bringing them so they just kind of show up and play whatever other people bring and it tends yeah. to be me and my friend greg that are almost always bringing and teaching games and what's funny is i actually i don't always enjoy teaching and there are weeks where i definitely don't want to <laughs> teach a game 
And then I come in and Greg and I are the only two that have brought games. So I inevitably end up pulling out some of mine and then teaching them. I guess I've been teaching a little bit more at work when we play games at work because I'm like the game person there. (laughs) Wait, what? You're the game person? Shocking. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so I don't bring out the really heavy games there because we only have like 30 minutes. (laughs) During our lunch break, let's play 1857. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so I think a good thing to do when teaching is you start with something overall, like the overall theme or the goal. For example, in... Arkham Horror, like in this game, we're trying to save the world from Cthulhu by where we're working together and gathering weapons and fighting monsters. So then they know what the, th- what the game is about and then they connect, can connect it to the actions that you're explaining later. Because sometimes I've had it where people teach me and they start with like what you're doing on your turn, but I don't really know how it connects to the rest of the game or like what I'm trying to do. So, yeah, like what you're trying to accomplish yeah. with those actions. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like hearing the whole goal theme of the game, like the overall picture first, and then go into like the game structure and then the round structure and the turn structure. I think something that I didn't realize immediately, but that I f- have found is helpful sometimes, is having the uh, people who are playing the game with me help me set it up. And mm-hmm. like using that opportunity to specifically name certain items like, oh, yeah. here's the, I mean, I'm making stuff up, but like, here's the horror deck, you know, here's the monster deck, you know, can mm-hmm. you shuffle the monster deck and put it over there? I feel like some people don't have a, don't have a lot of patience for learning games, even if they want to play, learn and play a game. Some people are just not great at sitting and listening to another person mm-hmm. talk about a thing for a little while. I will admit my husband is one of those people. And so <laughs> I have to be very quick when I'm teaching games to him. Yes. But, you know, a lot of people are like that. And so I think if you can find ways to impart information during the time that it doesn't feel like you're teaching the game, mm-hmm. that that can help with that. So like, oh, here's the names of some things while we're setting it up and not while you're just listening to me lecture to you. Yeah. And also if they're more visual learners, they can see what everything is as you're explaining like, oh, this is this. And then they see it and look at the card. So that helps. Yeah, that's a good example. Like I almost always try and pull out Mm -hmm. the things that I'm talking about and show them because yeah, people aren't able to visualize things often that well, especially if it's a thing they've never seen before. Yeah. So pulling them out and showing them the thing that you're talking about can definitely help solidify what it is and how it works once they get into the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing that Toby does really well, I think is while he's explaining games, especially with the more complex games, he stops like after each main thing that he says and asks if they have any questions and if they understand. So that like makes sure that they're still paying attention and they can ask questions about what he just said. That is, that's a really good point. And it's honestly, it's something that I feel I don't do well mm-hmm. because in my mind, I have a very specific way that I want to explain things. And sometimes people will interject a question that you haven't gotten to yet. Like a thing that you're going to explain that you haven't explained yet. And for Mm -hmm. whatever reason in my head, I get frustrated when that happens. (laughs) That happens to me too. (laughs) Like I don't under, in my mind, I don't quite get why that's a frustrating thing Mm -hmm. for me because they don't know that that's a thing I'm going to explain later. They're just looking at a card or a piece of the board or whatever. And they have a question about it. And then, I mean, I think I've gotten better at saying 
you know, oh, we're going to get to that in a minute, mm-hmm. but like trying not to interrupt my flow because generally if I branch off from my intended explanation, <laughs> I kind of lose my train of thought and find it hard to get back in. But I also don't want to be rude to somebody who's asking me a question and yeah. be like, well, you know, screw your question right now. I'll talk <laughs> about it later. Like, no, like I'm trying to... And I also get frustrated when I've already explained a thing and I feel like I've explained it clearly, but somebody either wasn't listening or didn't understand mm-hmm. and had now asks me the exact thing I've already explained. That also frustrates me. Mm-hmm. And I don't always deal with those moments well. For the record, I'm not a teacher. I've never <laughs> wanted to be a teacher in my life. I have a lot of respect for people who are teachers because, wow, teaching is hard mm-hmm. and teachers are underappreciated. Also, I know we're not talking about just like the profession of teaching, but do a lot of work for not a lot of credit and it's hard and I'm it's not a thing that I feel like I'm good at I even if I understand a game well imparting that knowledge into people and then my worst thing is finding new ways to explain something if somebody doesn't understand it the way I've explained it already yeah I used to tutor math as a side thing and yeah people definitely learn in different ways and you have to explain things in different ways so I guess another thing with board games, you can ask people how they prefer to learn. Like some people want to know all the rules up front. Some people want to learn as they go. Or some people want help on their turn and want like explanations as they're playing. So if they know how they like learning, then maybe you can ask them and then that can affect how you teach yeah, I think that's a really good suggestion. And in that that gets tough then if you've got one person who's like, yeah. screw the rules explanation, let's just play and we'll learn as we go. And one person's like, no, 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 I need to know every rule <laughs> Then right you have now. to teach all the ways. <laughs> yeah. I think definitely if you're going to be teaching a game and you know you're going to be teaching in a game in advance, because like, like I was saying earlier, a lot of times I get thrown into teaching games when I wasn't anticipating doing so. Mm-hmm. So obviously the prep work is less <laughs> in those situations. Yeah. But if you know you're going to be teaching games, I think being familiar with the rules and the rule book itself, yes. not just understanding the rules, but knowing where the rules are located in the book so you can reference them more easily later. Mm-hmm. Looking up frequently asked questions on a resource like Board Game Geek or seeing if like some games have known issues with like, oh, one card got misprinted and Board Game Geek will often have information in their forums about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff too. So you can kind of stave off problems in advance, especially if it's a game you are just learning for the first time as well. Something that I've done in the past, although not many players tend to take advantage of it, is I will send links to learn to play videos. Rodney Smith's Watch It Played videos are a go-to for me mm-hmm. because he is really good at teaching games. And like we actually, this weekend when we played Tiny Epic Zombies, I literally got the game out and then I queued up the 20-minute Watch It Played video that had the setup and how to play in the video. And we literally just followed along with it and set it up and learned it from Rodney. And it was great. It was lovely. So thank you, Rodney. That was wonderful. <laughs> I actually don't like learning from videos, which is also ironic. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah. People have learned from my videos, but like, yeah, I don't I don't learn from videos myself. <laughs> I see and I I it's funny I'm a I was an English major I like to read but I don't like to read rule books I think mm-hmm. having another person teach it to me whether that's in person or via video that is my favorite way to learn a game generally mm-hmm. and, and I like reading the rule book well I don't like reading it but like that's how I like learning <laughs> you prefer to yeah 
That makes sense. Yeah. Videos are also really helpful. Or even having people do stuff in advance is helpful mm-hmm. for asymmetric games. Oh, yeah. Like when we were going to play Vast for the first time, I, I, I requested to pick our factions in advance because then I could read up on the rules for my specific faction. And I know that new uh, war game Root that is pretty popular right now mm-hmm. is also asymmetric. So yeah. um, if I ever get around to playing that, I might do something similar. So why do people teach games? Like, why, why is it important for people who are in the hobby to know how to teach a game? Because they need to play with people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, if you want people to play with you and they don't know how to play the game, you're going to have to teach it to them. And in order for them to understand how to play, you'll need to be able to teach it well so that they can have a good experience and want to play with you again. (laughs) And since gaming is a social thing, unless you're solo gaming, you're usually playing with other people. So you you want other people to play with you. (laughs) So if people think they're bad at teaching games, like me, for instance, sometimes, you know, like what can can they do to get better at teaching games, do you think? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I guess just practice. I guess that's one thing you can do. You can practice beforehand you can like you could even rehearse yeah, re- yeah rehearse could, like like with speeches you, you practice yeah. ahead of time and i know some people are going that sounds silly but truthfully like mm-hmm. if you know it's it's like anything in life if you want to get better at it you know practice it oh gosh that's practice makes perfect <laughs> like yeah whatever practice makes no, better <laughs> pra- practice does make better mm-hmm. that's that's an official board game blitz <laughs> phrase put it on a t-shirt practice makes better <laughs> So we asked people on Twitter to give us their feedback on this issue. We said, you know, what's the single most important piece of advice you would give someone who wants to know how to teach a board game to other people? And I we were I was hoping for some concise answers and whoo, we got some long ones <laughs> from people, which is awesome. So I would say uh, go find our tweet from the 19th of September and uh, look at all the responses because we are not mm-hmm. going to have time to go through very many of them. I think the happy Luza, our friend Dave Luza across the pond, made a really good point. He said, keep an eye on the people that you're explaining the game to. Are they with you? Do they look like they understand? Should you maybe pick a different game? And that is an interesting point to make because I feel like sometimes when you've started a game explanation, everybody kind of feels like there's no going back. But Mm -hmm. sometimes a game might not be right for the group that it's being introduced to. And I think it's okay to... If people are going, oh, like their eyes are glazing over and it doesn't look like they're invested or interested, maybe go, okay, you know, does this sound cool? We can always play this other game that I have in this bag right here. Because I feel like even me, like I never think to do that, but sometimes that might be the right decision to make. Yeah, I actually saw a thread on Reddit today mentioning the same thing. Like after the rules explanation, give them an out in case they think it's too much for them. That's a good point. A lot of people said to start with the end and work backwards or to give the goal of the game first and then explain how you accomplish that goal. There were some people who said that they don't actually think that that works for every game and I think that that's accurate. Ambi was talking about earlier sometimes introducing the theme of a game first can actually be a better way to introduce it but especially for like Euro-y type games where the goal is victory points you know say most points wins and then go into how you earn points. (laughs) 
Our friends Danny and Derek from Danny and Derek Do Board Games said, don't try to show off or use jargon or unnecessary language or comparisons to other games to gain some high ground. These people are already sitting down and trying something new, so you don't need to impress them. Express excitement, but hold back some for conciseness. I am a definite, I've done this. I've done this more times than I would like to admit. I like to feel like I am cool. And sometimes I think I make myself look like a jerk when I do that and I shouldn't. And I think I've done a pretty good job of trying to stop that. You know, like I, we've talked in the past about how people like to hate on uh, mass market games and games that some of us played early in our gaming careers that we don't touch anymore. And I've tried to recognize that everybody has their own brand of fun And if people are having fun, assuming it isn't hurting anyone else, maybe let them do that. And I think that's a good mentality to have when you're playing or teaching games. Yeah, and a lot of people mentioned uh, that people learn differently. Dave Rafiki said, know your audience and cater to their tastes and learning styles. If you don't know your audience, running demos, for example, have a script and be confident. In either case, make sure you know the game well enough to properly teach it. So yes, make sure you know the game. To teach it because otherwise you're just looking up rules and no one likes that. And our friends over at the Inroads podcast uh, simplified things. They said at the end of the day, most folks just need three things to start. What the game is about, what they do on their turn, and how they win. And I think that is a a good way to simplify (laughs) things, especially for people who don't want a lengthy rules explanation. It's, uh, we got a ton of great responses. Please Mm -hmm. go check out that tweet from September 19th and see all of the wonderful responses we got from our friends because they're awesome. And thank you all to everyone who responded to our question on Twitter. Um, We appreciate all the feedback. For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the history of the word teach. But before I get into it, I need to do a little bit of explaining. So if you've ever looked around and seen older words or words in other languages, you may have seen a character that looks like the English letters A and E smushed together into a single character. Technically, that is called a grapheme, and it is called ash or ash. And it was originally a ligature representing the Latin diphthong A-E. It's been promoted to the full status of an actual letter in some languages like Danish and Norwegian. But it is going to be referenced in a word that I'm going to mention here in just a second. So I wanted to explain what that is. But uh, graphemes are basically the letter representations of sounds in words. So there's letters, and then there's graphemes, and then there's actual the sounds that you use to build words. So feel free to dig into that if you want some more nerdy stuff, but I wanted to at least explain it a little. So the English word teach can be traced back to the old English word tyken, and tyken is spelled with T and then that A-E character and then C-A-N. So that A-E character is pronounced a couple of different ways. In the original Latin, it is pronounced like the letter I in English now, like or like your I that you see with. But a lot of people actually pronounce it with an E sound. So then teken would be the word uh, if you pronounced it that way. So teken meant to show, point out, declare, or demonstrate, as well as to give instruction, train, assign, direct, warn, or persuade. That word stems from the Proto-Germanic Teichen, meaning to show, which was also the source for the German Zeichen, meaning to accuse, and the Gothic Gatayen, meaning to announce. Those words came from the Proto-Indo-European root Diek, 
which meant to show or point out. The usual sense of the Old English tyken was show, declare, warn, or persuade, while the Old English word that meant to teach, instruct, or guide was actually more commonly lyran, spelled L, then that A-E character again, R-A-N. And that is the word that is the source for the modern words learn and lore. So the uh, the history of teach is a little bit interesting. And uh, I wanted to teach you all a little bit more about the letters that make up words. So hopefully I taught you something interesting today when we looked at the etymology of the word teach. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Head to grayfoxgames.com today to sign up for their newsletter to get all the insider info and have a chance to win cool prizes. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, we don't need no education. We don't need no rules review. <laughs> no explanation in the game room. <laughs> Gamers win on luck alone. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> hello, and welcome to episode. <laughs> That's hello. Sounded <laughs> weird to me. Hello. <laughs> And welcome to episode. <laughs> oh gosh, I can do this. Alliteration. <laughs> I usually have something with a beat, so I figured let's mix it up this time. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone just went, "Oh gosh, my ears!" So that's congratulations for sticking around to the end of the episode for that. Uh, last week, we asked you to retheme a game about a giant waterfall for a person who takes care of children who feels kind of sick. And a whole bunch of you got this one right. Uh, we had some submissions mm-hmm. via email and Twitter, and I think even on our Board Game Geek Guild, perhaps. And the correct answer was what, Amby? Nauseous Nannies Niagara. Yeah, those Yay. nauseous nannies at the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting thing to picture, I feel. At some point, we should have somebody illustrate these. Oh, gosh. I feel like that would be funny. But for this week, we are asking you to retheme a classic tile-based word game for loud television writers. Good luck, everybody.